everybody, this is Dave, and today is March 8th, 2021. I just wanted to um, introduce this episode of the podcast, which is going to be about Soundgarden Super Unknown. It's the 27th anniversary today of this groundbreaking record, and I wanted to talk about uh, the influence it's had on me as well as contemporaries of the band and also uh, bands and artists since that record came out who, like me, also grew up listening to it and their thoughts. Also, I want to wrap up the podcast with um, my analysis and uh, how some of it's changed of some since the death of Chris Cornell in 2017, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Dave, I just wanted to uh, welcome you to the podcast, and today is March 8th, and it is, as I call it, Super Unknown Day, and if you are a Soundgarden fan, you uh, should probably know exactly what I'm referring to. This is the day in 1994 when Super Unknown, Soundgarden's best-selling and um, widely acclaimed effort. Uh, record was uh, released on A&M Records and in the 27 years since it's uh, still holds its appeal it's still a very um, off-sided record and uh, very influential and it's a great record it's timeless I think the most timeless record of the Seattle alternative rock I hate the word grunge but whatever you want to call it Um, and really that record has stood the test of time. I think the only other record that came out of that rock uh, scene that's really held up is Nirvana's In Utero, which was released about uh, six months earlier in the fall of 1993. But even Dave, I guess I'll start off um, by saying this, that even Dave Grohl of Nirvana and then later Foo Fighters and whatnot, uh, he said that for him, Super Unknown was the most coherent art- artistic statement and by far best album to come out of the Seattle rock scene. So he uh, really loves that record, says it's the best of any band. And, you know, he was a drummer for Nirvana who gave us a utero, and I would say that's probably uh, the second best record out of that scene. And yeah take that for what it's worth but uh i think uh it's really stood the test of time it's a great time capsule and also just kind of if i wanted to point someone to a soundgarden record and they're just getting into the band i think super unknown is a great place to start bad motor finger is too but i think super unknown is a deeper artistic statement super unknown is um I call it the dark side of the moon in the 90s. It really is. It's um, obviously that Pink Floyd record, it was different, but in a way it kind of, you know, had its, it's definitely a mood. Like they say now, um, this is a mood, that is a mood, it's kind of overused, but it's, to me, super known is one of those rare records that's like kind of its own mood. And um, I grew up listening to it I still have the same copy I've had since I was like 14. Uh, So I'm 39 now. I've had it for at least 25 years since the mid nineties. So definitely uh, I I listen to it digitally now to kind of preserve it because CDs 
as uh, some of you may know uh, who grew up with uh, compactus, they're prone to laser rot. Just like you can wear a tape out, uh, any physical data you can wear out, including CDs, which are more resistant than, say, cassettes, but um, you can definitely wear them out by playing them too much, and eventually the you, the laser burns the CD and degrades the sound quality. Eventually it's unplayable, but... I don't want that to happen to my copy of Super Unknown. I mean, I could always replace it, but I love it because, like, when I bought it, it was, like, 1996 or something, and um, when it, when I first really got into the band, Hardcore, and they became, like, one of my favorite bands ever, um, I just like how it doesn't have a web address, it doesn't have an FBI anti-piracy logo, it doesn't have... Um, a QR code or anything that would date it to some something later after that. It's like mid nineties was right before the internet really took off and you know, all the shit that we have now, all of all of these modern technology things and you know, I'm a web developer so I know about that. But it's it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. But it just reminds me of also, you know, just being uh, in my youth and it being a simpler time both for me as a as a kid and also just in general seemed like life was a bit simpler, less digitized back then, you know. So I just, you know, want to talk about this record, and I want to do a track-by-track analysis that may be kind of, oh, wow, real original, right? But to me, I, I want to go track-by-track, track and I want to focus on the tracks that really mean a lot to me, and also discuss different tunings, and uh, on some of the tracks, uh, for those of you who are guitar players, musicians, etc., and are interested in that, I uh, I definitely want to get into that a little bit, and then um, you know talk about the mood of each track, some of the lyrics, do some analysis, and then wrap it up with uh, talking about uh, you know I guess the giant elephant in the room, which is the death of Chris Cornell in 2017, the main songwriter and lead singer of the band and how I kind of see some of the songs differently and it's really you know I think the clues were there as far as what he was dealing with I'm not going to comment on you know how he died but obviously he was going through some stuff throughout his his whole career and for much of his life and you know I'm going to talk about that later on when we wrap things up and how my analysis kind of you know shifted a little bit but essentially the the album is always going to mean a whole lot to me and uh, yeah I think it's it's awesome and it's it's awesome that new generations are discovering this record and it means a lot to them so um, yeah so pretty much to start the analysis you know March 8th 1994 a little backstory before we get into the track by track um Soundgarden is coming off the very successful Bad Motorfinger released in the fall of 1991, which went uh, double platinum. And they had made the big time. They were, you know, obviously Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And uh, fall of 91, spring, summer of 92. By 1992, Grunge was full force. And, uh, you know, Soundgarden was part of that scene. The Rusty Cage, Outshine videos are getting a lot of play on MTV, Jesus Christ Pose, which um, is not criticizing Christianity directly. It's really about a criticism by Chris Cornell aimed at celebrities who I guess were striking the, you know, persecuted deity pose, as he, as he called it in an interview one time that I saw. Apparently, uh, a lot of celebrities back then were doing that. I was only like 10 years old, 11 years old, so I don't recall that. But um, he was criticizing them for that. But unfortunately, as is the case a lot of times, especially here in America, um, especially more conservative folks, I misconstrued the meaning of the song and you know sent the band death threats. And that's obviously pretty scary shit. And, uh, yeah, they had to have, like, extra security, I recall, and, and other things. They got mail. You know, back then there wasn't really email, or it was very nascent. Uh, they got threatening phone calls, email, or I'm sorry, not email, mail, packages, it's letters, etc. You know, threatening to kill them and, and other bad things. And 
So anyway, um, it got them some notoriety, but really most of the fame was uh, positive surrounding them, and they wanted to uh, capitalize on the momentum of not only their ascent, but that of their uh, compatriots in Seattle, a la Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. So they went into the studio in 1993 with Michael Beinhorn, a producer who had a big hit uh, not that long before with Soul Asylum's uh, Grave Dancers Union and broke that band, you know, Soul Asylum from the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, Minnesota scene, which obviously gave us Husker Du and replacements. A quick aside, a lot of people don't know that Soul Asylum was kind of like the junior league. They're like the junior varsity band of uh, the Twin Cities back in the 80s, and it turns out they were the ones that stuck around the longest because the replacements, you know, had all kinds of fucking substance abuse problems and whatnot. And Husker Du, you know, Bob Mould and Grant Hart, R.I.P., um, we're co-songwriters who hated each other so they personal tensions uh, broke the band apart replacements couldn't hold it together soul asylum got with Michael Beinhorn anyway back to uh, Super Unknown so they go with Michael Beinhorn in the studio I think Bad Animals in Seattle's where a lot of it was uh, recorded legendary Seattle recording studio and they uh, start making the record and you know, I I remember reading that like members of Pearl Jam, like I think Stone, Gossard, Mike McCready, um, I think Dave Grohl of Nirvana stopped in when they were making it in the interview. He's talking about how that was the best record to come out of the Seattle scene, in his opinion. Uh, and they listened to the playback of of the tapes. You know, back then there's no or Pro Tools or whatever was not out yet or or just about to come out, so it was still. Really, um, even in 93, when they were recording Super Unknown, which was released in 94, it was still recording on a Neve or API uh, analog console to two-inch tape, you know, magnetic tape, like those old machines. So there wasn't really, just like now, I mean, I'm in a DAW Cubase talking into a microphone, into a, a USB interface, and... You know, it sounds like I'm on the radio or I'm using analog equipment, maybe to the untrained ear, but I'm not. So anyway, um, they recorded everything analog back then. And uh, when they played it back, you know, the tapes, the response was almost universally, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, you guys have a really big hit record on your hands. This is going to be, you know, a game changer so Dave Grohl said he knew it was going to be big. The members of, I think, Pearl Jam, and maybe Jerry from Alice in Chains, Jerry Cantrell, he, um, or maybe Lane, what, some of them, they came in, you know, because back then they are all in Seattle. Most of the Seattle musicians uh, from those bands are living in L.A. now, to my knowledge, um, those that are still with us, obviously. So they are all back in Seattle still back then, and they're like, yeah, this is really happening. This is great, guys, so. Then it went on to sell five, six million copies, whatever it was, multi-platinum, and the rest is history. So now I want to get started on the track-by-track -track analysis of the record. So uh, the Super Unknown, uh, there's 15 tracks in order. It's Let Me Drown, My Wave, Fell on Black Days, Mailman, Super Unknown, Head Down, Black Hole Sun, Spoon Man, Limo Wreck, the Day I Tried to Live, Kickstand, Fresh Tendrils, Fourth of July, Half, and Like Suicide, closed it off. Um, I just went with the official U.S. 1994 original release on A&M Records. The Japanese version, I believe, had the extra track, She Likes Surprises, which is a very cool song, and I like it a lot. But I don't consider it essentially... Or essential to the record it's not on the original american release so um but it's a great song and i don't think it really fits into the rest of the record anyway i think it's a very cool b-side type of song so anyway let's get started now the first track is called let me drown and that was written by chris cornell and it is starts off with a very heavy 
drop D sort of riff. It's drop D tuning, and I think it's they're using Mesa Boogie, probably dual rectifiers on this own album. So very, I guess, grungy or crunchy sounding guitars. You know, Soundgarden, especially on Bad Motor Finger and Super Unknown, the guitars are very loud. Uh, definitely in kind of a sludgy heavy metal sound. Uh, very bigot in your face, and that that's how, that's how the album kicks off. And the lyrics are, you know, the refrain is "Drown Me in You," and it to me it's it's about like devotion or somebody who uh, is, t- is talking to someone that they are unconditionally love love and are devoted to and. You know, there's lines like, give up to greed, you don't have to feed me. Give up to fate, you don't have to need me. And uh, it's it, c- it could be about codependence, I don't know. But that is a very cool song. I have always contended that should have been a single. I know there's like, what, five singles on here? My Way, Fall on Black Days, Black Hole Sun, The Biggest Smash Hit, Spoon Man, The Day I Tried to Live. Um, I don't see why there couldn't have been a six. I, this is with the song I would nominate for the six single. It's absolutely terrific. It rocks. It's loud. It would be a great radio song. Um, if I ever had a brown radio station, I would play this song because I, I just think it kicks ass. And it's a typical rock and Soundgarden song. And it's got Cornell's uh, trademark caterwauling, especially in the bridge. We got this heavy, heavy like Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin meets Black Sabbath riff. And he's doing this, man, yeah, oh yeah. You know, his typical whale. And he's just, they're killing it. And it's just such a great song. And Matt Cameron's drums are just, you know, pounding away, creating this great groove, these great intricate ride cymbal patterns. And it just rocks. Ben Shepard on bass, kicking ass. Um, Kim Thale, guitar. Heavy guitar, bringing the heaviness. And also, maybe it's a good time to say, in case you don't know who the band members are, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably should, or at least you you probably know Chris Cornell, but if you don't know the other members of Soundgarden, obviously Chris Cornell, vocals and guitar, rhythm guitar, Kim Thale, mainly a lead guitarist, um, very inventive, unique approach to guitar. He doesn't do the typical pentatonic solos like most people do. He has kind of a different influence um, on his soloing. I always thought he was very unique in that regard. A little more atmospheric, but he can still rock and he can still, you know, really kick out the neat solos when need be. Also, Matt Cameron on drums, and uh, Matt Cameron also the Pearl Jam drummer for the last 20 years or so. Um, he was originally the drummer for Soundgarden. And, uh, you know, he's one of the best modern rock drummers, period. And I think Chris Cornell and Matt Cameron are the best singer-drummer combination in arguably in American rock history. I mean... The vocals of Chris Cornell and Matt Cameron, the drums of Matt Cameron, just really propelled the band. And you know Ben Shepard on bass, a great bass player. He joined the band after their previous record, or before, excuse me, the previous record, Bad Motor Figure, and really brought something to a new, fresh, uh, you know, ideas and whatnot in songwriting, and just the vibe is different from like Louder and Love. And before, when they with their original bassist Hiro Yamamoto, who left to pursue a master's degree in chemistry or something like that. So, anyway, uh, let me drown. It starts off; it's a pretty rocking song, and then it ends abruptly. Uh, very dramatic, lots of high drama in, this, in the tune, and then it kind of goes to uh, "My Wave." And "My Wave" was a, a single. It's the first song sequentially on here that's a single but in terms of the overall uh chronology of singles from this album my wave was fourth 
It was released in October 1994, about seven months after the record had been released by A&M. So what's unusual about this, well, it's not that unusual for Soundgarden. They're known for their alternate tunings and odd time signatures. Um, but just to uh, explain to the non-musician people who might be listening, this song is in 5-4. So long story short, that means there's five beats per measure. Usually when you hear like, you know, the Roma, if you're a Ramones fan, you hear one, two, three, four. They're counting off a measure before the band starts to make sure they all start on time and also they know how fast to go. So this is five, so you would count it off like one, two, three, four, five. There's an extra beat. And if you listen to my wave, it sounds like it's, you know, you can't go one, two, three, four to it. And a lot of these, uh, like the next song we're going to talk about, Fallen Black Days, that's six, four, I believe. So, um, and also what's unusual is this is not in standard tuning, which is E, uh, bottom to top strings on a guitar usually tuned low E, A, D, G, B, and high E. And this one, it's low E, then an octave higher E. Then the four top four strings are tuned to be the fourth string from the top or third from the bottom is an octave lower. And the top three strings, the high strings, are all tuned to the exact same pitch and octave. So it creates this cool kind of sitar-like effect, especially you put it on overdrive and you're playing the song and you don't mute the strings with your left hand. If you're a guitar player, you know what I'm talking about. This uh, feeds back and it sounds like a sitar, especially if you've got like a fan blowing. It's a pretty cool effect. Highly recommend you play the song. And then a couple other songs. I think Day I Tried to Live, which is also on here. Uh, we'll talk about that song later. Is in this tuning or a similar tuning? And also their comeback single, uh, Been Away Too Long, is in the same tuning because I've learned it. And it's a pretty cool, it gives it a default sort of South Asian, Southeast Asian sort of uh, vibe. A lot of their songs have that. Um, there's various uh, conjectures, uh, po possible reasons as to why. A lot of people commonly point out that Kim Thale, the guitar player, is uh, of Indian descent, but he says he didn't really grow up listening to Indian music until he wasn't really exposed to it till later. Even though his parents were Indian, they played like Western classical music and the Beatles. So he grew up listening to the Beatles and classical music, and then he discovered Indian music later. So despite his ethnicity, uh, his lineage, I doesn't sound like it really paid, played much of a role in Soundgarden's music. He just kind of came to it later. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, Middle Eastern Indian type stuff was really big back then. So, you know, Guns N' Roses, Alice in Chains released a lot of songs like that, that had that kind of Phrygian and Locrian modes, kind of what people call exotic sounding, for lack of a better word. So, yeah. Anyway, back to my wave. It's in a weird tuning, a weird odd time signature, as they call it. Uh, but, you know, lyrics like cry if you want to cry, if he helps you see and it clears your eyes. Hate if you want to hate, if it keeps you safe, if it makes you brave. Um, that was just, you know, some people say it's about localism or something, you know. Don't come around here, uh, piss on my gate, save it, just keep it off my wave, you know. Kind of like people don't want stuff in their backyard or they just want to be left alone. A lot of these songs are about, uh, one of the main themes on here I think is, Chris Cornell was known as an introvert, and I think a lot of it is a plea to be left alone. That's what Matt Cameron and Chris Cornell have said in interviews. And as an introvert, I relate to that very much. So that is uh, that is my wave, uh, written by Chris Cornell. I'm thinking he did most of the lyrics, and Kim Thale most of the music. But Chris and Kim wrote this. So the next track is "Fell on Black Days." It was the fifth single. And it was written by Chris Cornell in the signature of 6-4, so six beats per measure. And it, the drums are kind of playing in 4-4, four, four, sort of what we call in music polyrhythmic, where there's two different feels. Uh, the band Tool does this a lot. Kind of makes the off-time signature feel more natural to the average listener. It's pretty you know advanced it's pretty cool when musicians can do that obviously uh, if you know Soundgarden you know they're great musicians all of them um, 
And just a little brief synopsis of the lyrics by Chris Cornell. He said, Fell in black days is like this ongoing fear I've had for years. It's a feeling that everyone gets. You're happy with your life. Everything's going well. Things are exciting. When all of a sudden you realize you're unhappy in the extreme to the point of being really, really scared. There's no particular event you can pin the feeling down to. It's just that you realize one day that everything in your life is fucked. And that was a quote from... Uh, looks like the music journalist Everett True's article Journey into the Super Unknown published in the well-known music magazine Melody Maker back in March of 1994. Uh, looks like it was released just a, a week or two after the record. So, um, yeah, that's Chris's take on it. And then um, I do want to talk a little bit later about this song and a couple others in particular. Um, in light of Chris's death, but obviously there's a bit main theme here of depression, depression and the moaning, bemoaning in lyrics. How could I know this would be my fate? Um, the passion is really there. I've, um, seen this song in particular mentioned by an interview with music executives, VH1, or I think it was VH1 did something on Chris Cornell as one of the greatest singers in rock. And they interviewed several, uh, record executives. And I don't, I think they were like competing, like competitors of A&M and they're like, Oh man, I love Chris Cornell. Like they were talking like fans. And I mentioned this in the podcast I did a few days after his death and they, they sounded like fans, not like a big wig money hungry music exec so i thought i thought that was pretty cool that was pretty refreshing to hear that and chris definitely had that power with his voice to bring out the fanboy even the the most hardened music industry people so there you go so i mean that you know fell in black days oh and in terms of tuning this is unique and that's the only song that's in standard tuning e-a-d-g-b-e so there you go and it's just a great song if it's one of the songs, if I had to define grunge in a song, like this would probably be one of the songs. And I, again, I hate that term grunge, but people use it. So it's a quintessential nineties rock song, the dread, the despair, the angst, the, the moodiness, the, it has a very cool vibe. The guitars, I just think of very cool vibes when I hear it. And it's a great song. So, Anyway, um, the next song on here is Mailman, which is not a single. I do want to talk a bit, little bit about this song because it's extremely heavy, skull-crushingly heavy, and the tuning is the top four strings, the higher strings are in standard tuning, and the bottom two are tuned down to uh, E is tuned down to C, and A is tuned down to G. So it's like the bottom two strings are in drop C and the top four are in standard. And there's so many different tunings on this record. That's actually a topic for a different podcast, just the tunings on Super Unknown. Because there's so many of them, really. It's fucking crazy. So um, a quick aside about the tunings. Uh, Chris, I think, said, I think it was Chris, the biggest reason for that is just they write this, the melodies and the song first, and then it's kind of like the tunings are supposed to facilitate the song, like and make it easier to play it. So it's not because they're trying to fuck with everyone or anything like that. It's just literally they, I guess, like he put it, they were lazy, and it's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> so Path of Least Resistance, there you go. Anyway, um, Mailman, there's like, you know, I'm riding you all the way. Um, I know I'm headed for the bottom, those kind of lyrics. He said it's about wanting to kill your boss. A lot of people have called attention to lyrics because back in 1994 when this came out, there wasn't really a lot of like mass shootings or that sort of thing back then. Now, unfortunately, for various reasons, they become part of uh, American life now, and it's extremely tragic uh, without getting into the topic further. But a lot of people said, you know, this this is like... Um, and that's another thing, like on Limo Wreck, you know, Twin Towers inch the sky when the whole thing comes crashing down. Don't ask me why. They said, oh, he, Chris Cornell predicted 9-11. You know, Limo Wreck and this and that. And uh, Mailman, he's predicting mass shootings. And it's like, I don't think so. But And he said, 
no, no way. It's just what came to his mind. He's trying to paint a picture with words. He's trying to write a song. He's not really trying to be a soothsayer or, a, you know, uh, predict the future or anything like that. So, you know, but Mailman, it's a very heavy riff. It's drop tune. It's kind of a sludge metal meets country groove. More excellent drumming by Matt Cameron. Um, there's a Mellotron also played by Matt Cameron. For those of you who don't know, Mellotron can mimic. It's an old, like, sampler tape machine with a keyboard. And it has samples of, like, strings. And it sounds very haunting and creepy because it's old, old analog. And there's a lot of wow and flutter. So there's a lot of sonic imperfection in it. In it but that's part of the term. And um, they played that. On Matt Cameron did on it. It has a small keyboard, and he just played it, and it really adds to the atmosphere of the track. So, very cool track. And then the sixth track, uh, Super Unknown, is the title track, and that's also in an alternate tuning. I don't want to spend too much time on tuning, so I'm just going to go, line, you know, track by track here. Um, so, yeah, Super Unknown is the title track, and it's, you know... He's saying things like, if you don't want to be seen, you don't have to hide. If this, if this doesn't uh, bring you down, it doesn't mean you're high. If you don't, if you don't want to smile, you don't have to cry, something like that. You know, it's just kind of dichotomy of, you know, opposites or whatever. It's a psychedelic type song. Very cool. Wasn't, a, wasn't really a single. It does get played on like, you know, here in Phoenix, KPD. It uh, does get played sometimes on rock radio. It's the title track to the song, to the record. Um, but anyway, you know, it's not really a single, but it's a cool song. I mean, every song in here is pretty much really cool. And I think it makes a cohesive statement, which is missing from bands and, and records today, I think. Then you have the big one, Black Hole Sun, number seven. And Black Hole Sun was a huge hit for them. It became, was it a top 10 hit? Um, let's see here. Well, I think it topped the modern rock tracks. Yeah, U.S. Mainstream Rock. Uh, number one, Billboard. U.S. Mainstream Top 40 is number nine. So it, hit, it was a top 10 hit. It's been on Rock Band, and it's all this other stuff, and, you know, it's a 90s, like, you think of the 90s cult, pop culture, Black Hole Sun is there. I think it was on IV, VH1's out of the 90s, if I remember correctly. I haven't seen that in years. I don't know. It was only once. Um, the video is trippy, ahead of its time, digital, computers, you know, making videos, a lot of, you know, smiley faces, a lot of uh, digital image manipulation, and uh, you know the breakdown my favorite part is the bridge where they just kind of stop and then it's just chris and the uh guitar through the leslie rotary speakers like hang my head drown my fear till you all just disappear it's it's a cry to just be left alone that's how i look at it it was their biggest hit and the defining song of their career and also um one of the verses he sings no one sings like you anymore and when chris passed away in 2017 that was used to pay tribute to him so there you go very successful um and also came like uh someone from all music greek prado uh said one of the few bright spots of the summer of 1994 when the world was still reeling from nirvana leader kurt Cobain's death which is true and also and i remember in the summer of 95 hearing this all the fucking time on the radio and it was just such a great song. And I think of the summer when I hear it. I really do. Just like the summer of 92 or whatever, I first heard the Chili Peppers and the Bridge. Those are summer songs to me because it's when it was on the radio all the time. And just growing up being a kid in East Phoenix and, you know, uh, hanging out with my friends, riding my bike, playing the Super Nintendo, shooting hoops, you know, watching the suns on TV. Like, those are the days. I love it. And this this record brings back a lot of those memories, too super unknown and yeah so 
The next track, number eight, is Spoon Man, and that has um, artist Spoon Man, who's a real live street musician in Seattle, and the band wanted to include him. Um, this video, I wish they had showed more of the Spoon Man. They showed like black and white pictures of the band members. I think it's one of the most puzzlingly inexplicable videos of the era. Just they should have just showed artist a spoon man and not show the stupid fucking pictures. That's that's my take. And I don't know whose decision that was, if that was the label, if that was the band. I'm thinking probably not the band because they're not like that. Anyway. I uh it's a great song, lots of percussion. If you are a drummer, you have to love Spoon Man. I mean, it's just, it was made for drummers. Matt Cameron, I think Greg Gilmore, the famed Seattle uh, percussionist, I believe he was uh, the drummer for uh, Green River, Mother Love Bone, one of those bands. Um, also, I think he was, yeah, he built the famous Snares snare drums um he was on there too so playing uh, percussion and artist the spoon man playing the spoons and the breakdown the bridge it's all percussion and just you know i think ben shepherd's bass is in there and it's just a breakdown and it's a lot of fun it's just a fun song very cool spoon man come together with your hand it's uh I see it. I had to sing along because it's, it's stuck in my head now. So the next track is, and that was a single too, obviously the second biggest hit from the record. I don't have the stats right here in front of me, but you know. So uh, the next track on the record is a number nine limo wreck. as written by Chris Cornell, Matt Cameron, and Kim Thale. And again, Chris Cornell's the pri primary songwriter. Um, oh shit, I forgot Head Down. So number six, uh, Super Unknown was number five. Uh, six is Head Down. That is kind of a trippy, psychedelic, Eastern sort of sounding track written uh, by Ben Shepard exclusively. Uh, along, along with the penultimate, which is the second last track, Half. Um, ben has his own style. It's cool. It's probably not going to lead to any hits, but the Ben songs were always the more interesting ones in the Soundgarden catalog. And it's about you're born and then, you know, you die, but in between people have all these expectations for you. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of good percussion, especially in the outro, too, and that leads into Black Hole Sun. So... Just briefly, I went out of order there. Apologize for that, but hey, shit happens. It's a podcast. Make it as good as I can, but sometimes I make mistakes, and some mistakes I leave in because I want it to be like a discussion, you know, and sometimes you forget stuff when you're talking to your friends or your family. Anyway, going back to Limo Rec, it's, you know, I was talking about people that were saying, um... Chris Cornell was predicting 9-11 with the lyrics. Uh, the music is by Matt Cameron and Kim Thale um, as well. And there's, uh, you know, dark foreboding, very heavy riffs. And another highlight of the album is the bridge where there's just this, like, distorted Leslie guitar, like on Black Hole Sun, but more distorted. And Kim Thale is just doing those union bends. Uh, unison bends are like wow 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 and to people who don't know what I'm talking about I sound like a weird cat right now but you listen to the bridge it's very cool and it's just there's so many good grooves on here and it's, this is a musician's record I mean it's for everybody but the, I don't know a musician who doesn't love this record There's, it's just it's just one of those and I love that the Soundgarden made it and I think they, they made it for their fans, but I think they made it for musicians, too. That's my opinion. I can't prove that, but there you go. And, um, yeah, and it's, I also used to imagine when I was a kid, Chris Cornell being a seating Satan, like, and he goes in the full Nepal, and then, in the wreck of you, 
And he's just singing the chorus toward the end. And I just imagine like the whole fucking world on fire. And he's laughing. He's like the devil. And it's just such a cool track. I love it. And then, you know, that's, we're getting, we're in the second half of the record now. And then number 10 is The Day I Tried to Live, which is another single. It's about, you know, being an introvert, not wanting to be in the world. Um, that was, uh, Day I Tried to Live is 100% Chris Cornell's composition. Again, you know, just like Black Hole Sun, it's about an introvert. And, you know, Fallen Black Day is the introverted, depressive type. Like, I don't want to be a part of the world. And I totally relate to that. I think that's part of the reason I really connected with this album. I felt like Chris Cornell was talking to me. Like He's like, hey, I know what you feel like. And when I was this teenager who didn't know what the fuck they were doing and didn't fit in and was mercilessly teased and even bullied by some of his peers, it just felt like, you know, this this Chris Cornell guy got me. Like, he knew what I was going through. Even though I never met him. I saw him live, but I felt like he just he just knew and it was like a kindred spirit and I think that's really what sucked me into the music and then the music's just fucking great and he's so talented but that's what really drew me in at first and you know day I tried to live you know one more time around one more time around it's like well I guess I'll give it another try and sometimes that's how I am with life like fuck, you know, I got my ass kicked or I had a bad day. It's like, I just want to remove myself from society. I want to go off the grid. I've had, not recently, I've been doing pretty well. There's been so many times in the past where I just wanted to say fuck everything. To me, that's what this song is about. And Chris, when he was alive, seemed to pretty much confirm that suspicion. Yeah. You know, he was an introvert first and foremost. He was this huge, famous rock star, one of the most acclaimed singers of all time. But there are days that he just didn't, (laughs) He just didn't want to function as a member of society. I totally get it. So, uh, and I think that's in the E-E-B-B-B-B tuning that Fell on Black Days was. Or something similar. And that's a cool rocks song. There's a lot of, there's some like slide in it too from Kim Thale. And it's atmospheric. And then there's a cool drum groove in the bridge lots of cool grooves on here this is a drummer record like i said this superman is a total fucking drummer record every record matt cameron did great but this is his best work i think that's saying something uh and then track 11 we're getting the the bottom third here uh kickstand it's a minute and a half song um to put in perspective this whole the 15 bass tracks are 70 minutes and 13 seconds this minute kickstand clocks in at 134 it's just a quick kind of punk rock song uh lyrics by chris cornell music by kim thale um you know about um, kickstand motorcycle chris was a motorcycle enthusiast i think matt cameron writes motorcycles too like ducati Solomon Headbangers Ball around the time Superno came out and he was wearing a Ducati shirt or hat or something like that. Chris was a known motorcycle enthusiast. So I'm pretty sure it's just about the fun of riding a kick you know, kickstand riding a bike. Never ridden a motorcycle, I thought about learning, but especially I live in Arizona where there's a lot of bikers here. The weather is pretty agreeable to uh motorcycles year round, but I don't know, just I have a car, so that takes up most of my money. Um, and also, you know, being a musician and shit like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's Kickstand. It's a minute and a half quick punk rocker. Uh, number 12, Fresh fresh Tendrils, which to me reminds me of Zeppelin. Um, there's a clavinet in it, which is another keyboard instrument. Uh, it's very Zeppish, a little psychedelic. Typical Soundgarden, but... It's got a Zeppelin type groove to it, and you know, it's a long time coming. Many serve the few. Um, you know, it's shame, shame, give yourself away. Those are some of the lyrics. Um, you know, it's, it sounds to me about like, you know, classism or just people not really fulfilling themselves or always serving 
someone else like is common under like capitalism and such you know working for someone else making someone else rich to me that's what the song is about i've never confirmed that um it was written by chris cornell and matt cameron i think matt cameron plays the clavinet which is kind of a electric piano type uh instrument from the 70s and you have 13th, uh, 4th of July, and that's another low-tuned one that's very sludgy. And, um, and one of my favorite tracks on here. It's a down-tuned song. It's very kind of plodding, and it's just guitar and vocals first, then the bass and the drums come in. It's about seeing fireworks and thinking it's the end of the fucking world or something, but it's just the 4th of July. So I heard it in the wind, and I saw it in the sky, I thought it was the end. It was, it was just the Fourth of July, and Chris Cornell talked about how uh, he and some friends went in the roof of their house, his parents' house or something, or a friend's house, and they were playing "Dark Side of the Moon" by Pink Floyd on a portable record player, and they're just setting off fireworks. And this is that's kind of what inspired the song. It sounds like somebody's like you know stoned or high or something. It's like, oh dude, what the fuck's going on? Oh, it's Fourth of July. You know, I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me, but that's that's how Chris tells it. Which you know, he's the one who wrote it, so go with what he said. And then um, this is a favorite of a lot of fans for good reason. It's a terrific song, and my favorite, one of my favorite Soundgarden Chris Cornell lyrics is in it: "Light a Roman candle and hold it in your hand." Just and if you know what a Roman candle is, it sends showers of sparks everywhere. So I just thought that was kind of weird, but it sounds so cool. He sings it in such a soulful way. You're just like, man, that's awesome. And uh, speaking of other musicians that have come, you know, Amy Lee of Evanescence, who's about my age, she grew up listening to Soundgarden, and she highlighted this song. Her band Evanescence uh, covered this track live in their concerts before. So um, she really loved this, loved this song. It resonated with her. It's a favorite of mine, too. Every Soundgarden fan I know, that I've talked to you about Fourth of July loves this song. It's it's a great song by Chris Cornell. Um, clocks in just over five minutes, five oh eight, and you know we're getting close to the end of the record here, and this is you know kind of setting the mood, kind of bringing it down, slowing it down a little bit. We're still heavy and loud, but we're kind of you know kind of getting chill. The end is coming, and then. It sets it up nicely for half, which is a more relaxed Ben Shepard tune. Psychedelic, it's 214, and he sings in this falsetto. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, it's a Ben song. <laughs> There's not much more to say about it. It's cool. It, it's kind of a nice uh, lead into the, the final track, which is like Suicide, and um, the story, which is written solely by Chris Cornell. The final uh, track on the original release clocks in at seven minutes and one second. Kind of an epic, I guess, yeah. And it's a good way to end the album. Starts off slow, just the drums, then the guitar comes in, the bass, and Chris comes in, and, you know, there's the lyrics, she lived like a mother, but she died just like suicide. And also the lyrics like, how I feel for you, I feel for you. Thighs of blood and bitter blue. Yeah, I feel for you. I feel for you. And it's, it's talking about empathy and compassion. And you know, she lived like a mother. How she'd fly so sweetly. That was actually a bird that flew into his window, and it broke its neck. He tells the story, and he took a brick and he smashed the bird's neck to put it out of its misery. Which is kind of dark, but you know, and then. In a minute here, I'm going to talk about, um, in light of, obviously, tragic and unfortunate events surrounding uh, Chris Cornell. Um, in the last uh, few years, how it has been reinterpreted and you know what I think about the whole thing. So it builds up. And first, the Matt Cameron, for you drummers out there, has the snares off and his toms and just kind of, you know, like Danny Carey does a tool sometimes, the snares off thing makes the snare kind of like a tom-tom. And sounds cool, but then he turns the snares on right before the guitars get really loud. 
and they go into one of their signature Soundgarden grooves, as you know, and bring it home. And Chris does this, yeah, and it's it's pretty cool. It's a rocking song. It ends really well, and then he ends it just the guitars again in his vocals, but he's in the high register in his head voice. And she lived like a mother, but she died. How she flies so sweetly, and then you know. She lived like a mother, but she died just like suicide in the record ends. And I think it's a great way to end it. And speaking of endings, um, we're uh, about the 15-minute mark here. And it's about time, I think, to close the podcast. So I just want to wrap it up by saying, obviously, this has been a very... Um, I've really enjoyed this, talking about this record, what it means to me. I wish I could go even more in-depth, but I wanted to keep it under an hour, um, just for brevity reasons. You know, their podcasts are an hour and a half to even three hours, and I just didn't want to be one of those. So I like to keep it under an hour. Usually I'm around 40 minutes, but... I knew it was going to go over a little because I love talking about this record. Any, the one sure way to get me to talk, and other than that, I'm not a big talker. Those people who know me will vouch for this. The number one way to guarantee to get me to talk is to talk about music I love, and I will talk forever. <laughs> so I really love this record. It's one of my favorites. Definitely the best record to come out of the Seattle scene. The one that has aged the best and is the most timeless and just the best songwriting, the best production, instrumentation, all of it. It just really came together. And as we all know, uh, Chris Cornell passed away unexpectedly and suddenly in May of 2017. Coming up on the four-year anniversary of that, unfortunately, in a couple of months. Um, and just like when Kurt Cobain died, uh, not long after Super Unknown was released back in the spring of 1984, about a month later, Kurt died. And because of how he died, uh, in a similar manner to Chris, uh, there was a lot of, you know, um, hyper-focused anal analysis, sorry, just hyper-focused critiquing and, and lyrical anal analysis of his music and, you know, what was he trying to say? Was it a cry for help? especially on Super Unknown, Chris Cornell. And these are songs completely written by Chris Cornell. You know, Fell on Black Days, The Day I Tried to Live, Like Suicide. You know, there's Please to Leave Him Alone. You know, especially Fell on Black Days is about depression. How would I know could this could be my fate? And it makes you wonder. And a lot of people have speculated he was crying out for help. And I've had this discussion with other people who are Chris Cornell fans. And the thing is, I it, it could have been. I don't know. I early on, because this happened more recently, I really kind of had my own connection with the song already for years and years. I I feel bad for the people who came to this later and really completely viewed it through the lens of his death. But also, it's I mean, I guess it's colored my perspective a little bit because you know he's not here anymore and it sucks and like just like after Kurt died I listen to Nirvana even today I, I still think it's sometimes it's gotten less and less with time but you still sometimes say to yourself god damn it I wish he was still here it fucking sucks and not so much from a fan standpoint but from a human standpoint I wish I wish this talented amazing beautiful person it was so beloved by not just his fans, but his family and friends was still with us. And that's how I felt about Kurt. And I feel it probably three times as strong with Chris Cornell. Of course, the passing of time, I think, will not remove it, but dull it a little bit. But I'm always going to feel that. And I'm always going to look back. And when you hear Fell in Black Days... You know, as as they say, it just hits different now. It's like, fuck. You know, and I... Honestly, if he had if this had happened in the 90s, or after Soundgarden broke up, or after his first... 
he divorced his first wife or something like that, or there was like a trauma or something. I mean, I guess I would have been less surprised, would have been just as devastated, but I guess it would have been less of a shock. But also it's just like, you know, it, it just goes to show you, you're never out of the woods completely. And I don't think anybody's put it better, his death and just how it's been tough to deal with than uh, Greg Pucciato, who is a metal singer. He sang for Dillinger Escape Plan, which broke up a few years ago. He's in Kill or Be Killed, Black Queen, which is like a kind of a electronica side project he does. Also, his uh, uh, he has soul records out. His last one released at the end, near the end of 2020 is excellent. It's called Fuck Content, and it's very good. Uh, Greg Pucciato is somebody I really look up to, too, in, in the music scene. And he's a huge Chris Cornell fan as well. And he's like a year and a half older than me. He's about my age, so he grew up listening to Soundgarden. And I love what he said. He said that what really fucked him up about his death is that this guy has everything and but more you know the fame the money everybody focuses and fixates on that but the more important thing he has is this family he doesn't have to worry about money he does what he loves for a living and even at 52 years old after beating addiction and all these other things he does have a he does have a relapse but it's like it's not enough for he's like fuck it i'm out that's not enough for him to stick around and that's the scary part because you're never out of the woods and somebody struggled with uh, depression mental illness myself it's something that it's just a reminder that I, I have to always be vigilant. We always have to be on our toes. And that's kind of how I look at those songs now. And it's just like, you know, uh, what did Nietzsche say? If you stare too long into the, the darkness, the darkness consumes you or something about looking into the eyes of demons, you become a demon. Similar thing. So I uh, just want to close this off by saying... I embrace the darkness to an extent, but not so much that I'm going to let it consume me. And I think that's what Chris did to kind of get to that place where he wrote those songs. It came from a very real place, there's no doubt. Um, you know, how how he died is how he died. And just like anything else, sometimes people lose their battles. You know, lose your battle with addiction or depression or cancer or aids or you know all the people have died from covid that doesn't make them weak or anything it's just sometimes people lose their battles despite fighting valiantly and i know how i've heard that chris fought very valiantly and you know it's unfortunate how it ended and it's a shame he's no longer with us but we have this terrific record and a celebration of his achievements and to me this is the biggest achievement of his career um, not just commercially but artistically, I think it's the best thing he was involved with, and it's the best album for Soundgarden. Like I said, the best album for Seattle. Dave Grohl, Amy Lee, uh, you know, Greg Puchel, other others, countless others have sang its praises too. Can't get into all those here, but those are the big ones that I wanted to mention. So anyway, I've really enjoyed talking about this record, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. If you have any questions or or you want to make suggestions for other records I should do, um, email me. You can email me at dave at thatgeekyguy.com and uh, I'm going to post this on my thatgeekyguy, all one word, thatgeekyguy, all one word, dot com. And you just click on audio production and it'll take you, there'll be linked to this as of either late Sunday the 7th or early March 8th in the morning and then um, just go to the contact me page and you'll see my email and shoot me an email and if I like your suggestion I'll let you know and who knows might I might devote another episode because I want this to be a regular podcast but I gotta have ideas and I do have an idea I've got a good friend from high school Billy Lowry I want to tease this He's putting out a record, um, and I want to have him on here. It might be a few weeks, but I want he has a single he's self-releasing. And I want him to come on here and play the single, talk to him, and also promote the album, which I believe is coming out this spring, so pretty soon. So stay tuned, and uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our, my d talk on Super Unknown, and thank you so much for, for uh, downloading the podcast and giving it a listen. Have a great day great week and I'll, I'll see you again soon.